Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. I am Samantha, the Drug-Free Communities Grant Coordinator for Breakwater, formerly the Winnebago County Drug and Alcohol Coalition, and I'm the host for today's podcast. This episode features two steering team members, Dan Hawk and Sue Ponick. We talk a little bit about everything, from personal recovery stories to why the coalition chose the name Breakwater, and how talking to the kids in our lives about the effects of alcohol and other substances can be scary and uncomfortable, but necessary. For more information about any of the programs or resources we mentioned in the episode, click into the show notes or visit www.breakwaterwi.org. Dan and Sue are up next. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good. Uh, Glad to be a part of it. Uh, Glad to be a part of the podcast and glad to be part of Breakwater and the coalition and the work that that we've been doing. Could you introduce yourself to everyone? My name is Dan Hawk. I am with Apricity. I'm the president of Contract Packaging and, and Recovery Support, and I'm also on the steering committee and the chair for the treatment and recovery action team. So I've been involved with Winnebago County and the coalition for probably three or four years, um, have seen it evolve and and change and and bring new faces and uh, new groups to to the table. And I think create new identities along the way and, and build different programs. And I think some of the things that we've pulled together have been very helpful to the community. Do you want to talk about breakwater a little bit? Uh, you know, like what it means, why we went with breakwater, um, how it relates to the coalition? Sure. Work? So the, uh, the marketing team that, that we worked with came up with um, breakwater. And when they, when they first said it, it was, I wasn't quite sure what I thought, but as they mm-hmm. explained it, and, and I think that you know, thinking about uh, the, the breakwater as uh, a safe harbor and uh, a space that, that can create protection around a, a marina. You know, I, I think what a breakwater does fits what, uh, what we've been trying to do as a, as a coalition to, uh, to build a, a community that has some protective factors and has some... Um, you know, the, the, the structure of a, of a breakwater where it's many pieces piled together, um, built up to, uh, to create that, that structure. I mean, the different community members and the teams that we've engaged with, uh, it, it's just been, once I, once I wrap my head around the metaphor of it, then I, I think it's, it made sense and it, it fit. And uh, seeing what the, the, the marketing group came up with for collateral and logos and and color schemes and things like that uh, i'm excited to see how that that takes us kind of to that that next step because i think it's something that we've been working towards uh, as we were winnebago county drug and alcohol coalition and, and that was a mouthful but now creating this new this new brand this new uh experience and to be able to explain it in a way to people that I think it, it explains what we do just in the, in the name. 
I want to back up a little bit. Um, you said in your introduction you're a member of the steering committee and you are the chair of the treatment and recovery team for the coalition. Can you share a little bit about why you were interested and why you continue to do coalition work? I'm a person that's in long-term recovery. Um, I, I've been in recovery since 1998 and the coalition evolved from the heroin task force and when it was the heroin task force a, a number of years ago I was I was involved in that because Apricity is a recovery community organization and and we hire and help people in recovery and we we have sober living houses and we have employees who, who are in recovery and so being in that recovery space is important and learning about what's going on in the community as far as uh, recovery goes, but also uh, risk factors and, and what's new or what should we be aware of uh, for our uh, both employees and staff and, and our organization. So I got involved because, because I'm involved. I got involved because it's, it's important to me. It's, it's part of who I am. It, it's part of uh, who, you know, what I do for work, but also uh, who I am as a person. So uh, it, it just made sense, I guess, to, to, to become involved. And I, I think I got more involved because we were looking for a space. They were looking for a space for one of the pillar teams to, to have a, uh, to host a meeting. And we have a, a conference room at Apricity. And so we started hosting meetings then. And, and then I stepped into a, a chair role when somebody else left. And so I've, I've been doing that for maybe two years now. You mentioned that you're a person in recovery. And so this is kind of part of who you are. You have children. And when we talk about specifically the drug-free communities grant that we have, that guides a lot of the prevention work we do in the coalition. What does it mean to you to be involved in that prevention work? Or what does, as a father, what does that prevention work mean to you? And how do you bring that home some of kids. it has been eye-opening because learning about what kids, you know, what kids potentially get into now that was different from, from uh, when I was in high school, it's helpful to be aware of it. I think it allows me to, or has given me a, a, a tool, I guess, to, to talk about it with my kids to say like, hey, I, I've heard about this. Have, have you guys seen this? at school? Have you heard about this at school? It's made it a little bit more comfortable or, or, or I've become more comfortable with making them uncomfortable uh, and asking some of, those dis some of those questions about what they may see or hear because I can do it in a, in a different light. I can say, hey, I, I heard about this at work. Have, have you guys seen or heard about this? And I'm, I'm not accusing them of doing it or I'm not accusing their friends of, of being part of something. It's just something that I, that I learned about or over here and, and can bring home. So I think that that has been beneficial to, to me. And I think the fact that, like I said, the fact that I'm in recovery and I know that they know that my kids know that. And I think they know that they're potentially at risk, but I also knew that when I was a kid too, because my dad is in recovery. And so when I learned that that um, he was going to treatment and I learned that that increased my chances of uh, having substance use issues. Uh, 
you know, they told me that I had a 25% chance of not being, and I thought, all right, well, that's, that's fine. I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that 25%, you know? Um, and so I think that just being aware of it for them, hopefully is helpful. And then I think too, I, I think that we have a mix of people in the, on the coalition that are in recovery, have been affected by, um, you know, children or families in recovery. So I think that everybody having that different levels of passion or different reasons, like you said, different reasons for being involved. Um, it, it gives us all, uh, it's kind of what drives us because so I have, I have my own personal um, desire and, and passion for, uh, for helping people with substance use issues. Uh, but I also, uh, from a community standpoint, from a children's standpoint, I, I can see that as well and, and helping um, students or parents be able to understand why kids uh, may make some of those decisions. Yeah, and you did a really good job hitting on a couple of points that like our goals for us as a coalition, you know, you said to create that community to focus on building up those protective factors, which is a nod to our name of Breakwater, but also serving as a resource to the community, right? Not only while we're working on community level change to help reduce youth substance use, but also being that resource to the community at whole, right? We know that substance use is a community issue. It's not an individual problem, right? So if we come together as a community to support each other, we can help, you know, parents can help parents navigate that, you know, how do I talk to my kids? When do I talk to my kids? How honest do I be about my own past and my own struggles or lack of struggles or, you know, how much honesty is too much honesty in that situation? And I think a lot of these are questions that parents are asking. Um, maybe they're asking themselves. Maybe they're talking to their friends. Maybe they're not comfortable talking to their friends about it. But for the coalition to be able to offer some of those skill building activities or resources to parents and families who are either struggling with or affected by addiction is a really great opportunity for the coalition, for the the members of the coalition to really give back to the community because you're spot on where all of us have been impacted in one way, shape, or form by substance use and addiction. We're all kind of learning as we go. And, and uh, you know, I think being resources for each other uh, and for other parents that are uh, that are dealing with the same things or have dealt with the same things, you know, I, just that that peer support, I think, um, we all have we all have questions and and we don't know what we don't know. So I, I think some people have tried this and it worked, and some people have tried it and it hasn't. Uh, but I think just hearing different ideas is uh, is helpful. And I think people hearing that they've they've made mistakes, right? And so we can learn from that as well. In one of the training weeks, we did an activity where everyone went around the room and kind of shared, like, what prevention messaging do you remember from when you were a kid? And it was really kind of eye-opening to see just the kind of span of prevention messaging, the timeline of when there was, when there wasn't, what it looked like across the ages and generations in the room. So my question to you, Dan, is 
do you remember any prevention messaging from when you were growing up? And if so, what was that message? I remember the, the egg in the frying pan. Okay. Just say yep. no. And just say no. And then um, the, I, I learned it from watching you, dad. There was a, a commercial, I think the kid was, the kid was smoking weed or found weed. And uh, the, the dad is confronting him and says, where did you, why are you doing this? Where did you, you know, where did you learn about this? And the kid says, who's a, a teenager? He said, I learned it from watching you, dad. And so I, I think that, I, I, I do remember that one. And, and uh, maybe not until just now, but. I was going to say, I forgot all about that one. But now that you're describing it, I'm like, wait a minute. I do remember that one. And I think, um, you know, thinking back on that one and, and reflecting that on our uh, society in Wisconsin, right? Like I remember growing up and, and going up to the cottage and my parents would have parties up at the cottage and friends over um, and get drunk and all of that stuff. And I remember as a 10 or 12 year old, not like I couldn't wait for that. I couldn't wait till it was my turn, um, you know, to, to have parties up at the cottage. And so uh, it was just something that I looked forward to and I looked up to. I had kind of uncles that were in like in between that were, you know, early twenties. Uh, so they were younger than, than my parents. And so seeing them partying and, and uh, the cool kids and all that stuff. So I remember like being, looking forward to, to that party. And, and I, I, I can totally see how, uh, you know, it just, it continues to, it continues that cycle of what's normal, right? Like I grew up with everybody getting, drunk at the cottage as normal every weekend stuff and so I think that binge drinking growing up was was fine right and I think mm -hmm. in our society we see it the same way or in Wisconsin we see it the same way and I you know my kids don't see us that way don't see my wife and I that way so hopefully that gives them a, a, a different idea of what that looks like uh, and I also have to remember, like, that was how I grew up. And uh, I grew up in drinking, you know, in my late teens, early 20s. I know that not everybody in Wisconsin does that. But to me, that was that was normal. And so um, to think people don't do that or didn't do that was was uh, different. You know, I just expected that everyone did that. Yeah. Do you remember, Dan, any prevention messaging in school? Not really. There was some, there was like a D.A.R.E. group, um, but I went to a Catholic grade school. And so um, I'm assuming then, you know, that was stick your head in the sand and, and ignore it. Um, but it was also, uh, it was a very small group. You know, we, I think I had like 18 kids in, in my class in, in eighth grade. Um, so it was, it was pretty small and there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of like substance use stuff going on. There wasn't even kids really like smoking cigarettes or like hiding cigarettes or anything like that until we got to, to high school. So um, they, they didn't really talk about it as a prevention strategy. I don't think until we got to high school and then that was, that was dare. Did you have any prevention at home other than seeing the commercials on TV? Did you remember your parents talking to you about it at all or just kind of 
seeing what you saw growing up? Yeah, I was just seeing what I saw growing up, and that was everybody partying at the cottage. I mean, the um, the weekend groups, you know, we, we had, uh, I think there was five or six families along the one shoreline, and everybody, they just rotated cottages. Um, and, you know, I mean, I was just a kid, and we, we uh, kind of watched them. But, um, you know, the, the beer fridge thing, like growing up, I, I didn't really even think about that. But I mean, that certainly was uh, available to us as, as kids, if we would have wanted to. Um, and then when I was, when I was a freshman, my dad went to treatment. And so started to learn a little bit more about it then, started to learn a little bit more about some of those behaviors that, um, you know, we're, we're not okay that, you know, we had been viewing as normal my, my whole life. And I even remember like when they, when my dad talked to us about him going to treatment, um, you know, I looked at like him and the group of 15 other adults that were all doing the same thing. And I'm like, well, how can you have a problem? You're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. So Sue just walked in, and we'll take a minute to introduce Sue. Sue, if you want to share your name, who you are, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm Sue Ponick. Um, I uh, am retired now from my career, which was working in nonprofits, both with Girl Scouting for 15 years and then um, most recently with United Way here in Oshkosh for 25 years. And now um, I teach some online classes at the university. Um, I just got back from the Y teaching a fitness class and um, work at City Hall sometimes during the election time. Sue, you're retired, but you're not short on activities. Correct. So tell me why in retirement you choose to spend your time working with a coalition like Breakwater. Well, I started this actually when I was working um, at United Way. But it actually started before that because when I was um, in college at UW-La Crosse, I was a recreation major, and we needed to take so many electives, right? And so one semester I decided I would take this drug and alcohol course and a a course on juvenile delinquency. And um, I was fascinated by the whole issue, well, both issues actually, um, but I found that probably me and juvenile delinquents weren't going to work out very well. <laughs> so I um, really started looking more in towards, uh, towards the drug and alcohol addiction and not because I really didn't understand it. Yeah, I, mean, I thought it was, you know, like many people, that people were weak-willed and they just couldn't stop. And now we know it's a disease and we know that it's, it's harder for people, even once they're in uh, recovery, to stay in recovery. And how much now it's, you know, even then they weren't talking about the whole link to mental health um, for some of the uh, people who are addicted. So I just find it to be an issue that we need to do something about, you know, with the culture of alcohol and drug, uh, more alcohol than drug use in Wisconsin, but the culture of alcohol use in Wisconsin, we just need to be more careful. People can still have fun, but you don't have to drink and you can have fun and still drink responsibly. So, I mean, I think that there are things that we need to be working on, and I just found it to be an area that I'm committed to, just like I'm committed to early learning for children. Well, we're happy to have you. So 
I love that you came in at this point because I think it really speaks to the nature of coalition work. Dan and I had talked about earlier, you're not short on activities in retirement. Dan has a full-time job. We all have family demands and things that we're interested in outside of the coalition and the work that the coalition does. And coalition work is not always structured. It's not always clean. It's not always pretty. It's not always meeting at the same time of every of a regular day every month. It's walking in and out. It's I've got 15 minutes there. I've got 25 minutes there. I can make a phone call. I can draft a letter kind of thing. So I love that we have kind of that demonstration in this podcast and conversation. Dan and I were just talking about prevention messaging. Do you remember when you were growing up, you shared a little bit about the class you had at UW-Lacrosse, but when you were growing up, do you remember any prevention messaging at home, in school, on TV? Well, Dan, you and I share a Catholic education background, and um, very similar. I grew up in a small town of Thorpe. Uh, There were probably more bars in Thorpe than there were churches, and um, but my family was pretty strict about not drinking. Um, you know, we knew that my dad and mom went bowling and that they would, you know, probably have some drinks at the bowling alley. And there were times that we were actually in the bar or in the bowling alley or with them. Um, but we knew that we couldn't drink. And, you know, but my parents weren't the kind of parents that would say, oh, they're with me, they can drink. Even when I was 18, that didn't happen. And, you know, when I was 18, you could drink. <laughs> so... Um, we knew where the liquor was stored at home, but you didn't touch it. Um, and I think my parents pretty much, and my whole family, for the most part, drank pretty responsibly, maybe except for at weddings. You know, that was probably the only time people really let loose. Um, so for us at home, there wasn't, uh, we, we were pretty ingrained with the fact that, you know, you, drinking was not acceptable. And again, being in a small town, however... Um, everyone thought they could make it home okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so drinking and driving was never really talked about, that that was not to be done. Um, although common sense sometimes led you to believe, like, you better not touch that car, you just better walk home. And again, I was from any bar in Thorpe, I could walk within 20 minutes. So, you know, I could get home okay. Um, in school, I don't remember anything in grade school. In high school, you know, we saw stuff uh, like... What, what, what was the one about um, the marijuana, something about reefer madness? I don't know about that one. Dan, do you know that one? I don't. Okay, it was something about, I mean, it, they would show us this, this movie because it wasn't a video, it was a movie. And I think it was called Reefer Madness. Huh. So you have to check this out. And it was like people smoking marijuana, but it wasn't a true depiction of what happens when people smoke marijuana. It was those scare tactics. Okay. It was sort of like the same thing about uh, scared straight, so you never wanted to go to jail. You never wanted to do anything, so that you ended up in prison. It was the scare tactics. That seems to be the theme of prevention messaging through the years. Like it really started the egg in the frying pan, like you mentioned. The dad, I learned it from you. The reaper madness, which I'm learning about for the first time. Scared straight, I remember. A lot of it was scare tactics, fear mongering, like show you the worst possible outcome, which of course then everyone is like, ah, that's not going to be me. I've got a 25% chance I'll be totally fine. You know, like that's where your mind automatically goes because you don't want to look at the bad and nobody thinks that they will be the one that has a problem. So you've got a children, adult children? No, no children. Okay. 
Dan, you've got three. Are they seeing any prevention messaging in school that you're aware of? And if so, at what ages? So I know that, uh, so I have a six, 12 and, and 15 year old. And I know that they talk about like cigarette smoking at a very young age. Um, you know, cause I think I remember my, my six year old coming home last year and talking about, um, talking about what they had talked about with smoking cigarettes and stuff like that in the past. And then in health class, probably in middle school, and then again in high school, they talk about drugs and alcohol, but I don't know what the, I don't know enough to know about what the strategy is that they're presenting. I remember, vaguely remember D.A.R.E., and I want to say Counteract, I think, was the name of the program. But And I went to a Lutheran school. So there was a good mix of ignore it, don't talk about it, it's not a thing, abstinence, just say no. And um, I vaguely remember Counteract, which involved sitting in our sixth grade classroom and one of the officers coming into the room acting like a tough guy walking around like knocking on desks of people from families that he knew from either good reasons or bad reasons. And then we had like a coloring book and a blue t-shirt. And that's what I remember about that program. So clearly quite effective. And I do remember like our health class consisted of the beer goggles. You know, you had to wear the beer goggles and try to walk around, which of course was just a fun game when you're a freshman in high school. And that's about what I remember from that. So, I mean, prevention messaging is important, but I think what we can learn from through the years, like looking at the different programs and campaigns through the years, is it really matters on a, like, bring it down to the simple form, right? So DHS right now has the Small Talks campaign out, which I think is really smart because it all of the messaging in that is to parents saying, start talking to your kids early, around age eight or nine. And they're calling it Small Talks because it doesn't need to be a sit down at the kitchen table, stare across from you, mom and dad on one side, kid on the other, and have this intimidating big conversation about how you better not and if you do and here's the consequences. But just, you know, while you're playing outside on the swing set with your kid or going for a walk or riding your bike or taking a hike or grocery shopping or whatever you're doing, just be like, hey, alcohol, what do, you, what do you know about this? Or like, you know that it's not good to drink and these are the reasons and kind of talk about the consequences. Give them room to ask questions and share what they know or what they're hearing or what they're seeing with you. And allow yourself to learn a little bit too. Even just since starting with this coalition in January in the coordinator role and learning more about prevention, learning more about substance use, like looking at my own life and the examples that my husband and I are setting for our children. And when we get together with friends, the example that we're setting for all of our children, like you need to give your space, you need to give yourself some grace, some forgiveness, but you also need to give yourself opportunities to learn from what your children are seeing and create that space where they'll tell you, Hey, this is, this is what I think. And this is why I think it because I see X, Y, or Z. You know, an interesting story. My nieces, when they were growing up, they had a dare program in their school. And my sister called me one day and she goes, we got called into the principal's office. And I said, what? She said, well, they thought one of us was using drugs. And I said, well, why would they, you know, where'd they hear that? And she said, well, it was my niece. And they, the 
the teacher asked the question, is there anybody in your family who uses drugs? Well, they just got done with talking about smoking, just smoking cigarettes. And their grandmother um, was a smoker. And so they said yes. And so the, they got called into the principal's office to talk about this because my niece had shared this. And they were so relieved to know that it wasn't anything more than the grandmother and the smoking issue. But that was the message that this, my niece got. So they're, sometimes they're not, young, they're not old enough or they're too young to, to make the differentiation between an unhealthy behavior like smoking cigarettes, which I know nicotine is a drug, um, and um, more hardcore mm-hmm. drug use. Um, because I'm sure that the school didn't, it wasn't going to talk to my sister and her husband about their smoking habits, which right. they had none. <laughs> but um, so, so sometimes we have to be careful at what age we're sharing the information so that the children really do understand it properly and put it into context. And let's face it, at that young age, some kids can't put it into context. Yeah, you know, I, I think what you said before about um, giving kids the, the space to talk and asking them the questions, I, I think is, is, is a good starting point. You know, Sue, when mm-hmm. is too young? When is, you know, when is the right time? And, and what do they know or not know? And there's legal drugs. Alcohol is legal, right? So using it responsibly. Uh, marijuana is still illegal in Wisconsin, but becoming more and more accepted as, as normal. Um, and so I, I think how you frame that and how you give the kids the space, the opportunity to, to talk about it. So I, I like what you said when you said like, just asking them questions and saying, what, what do you know about it? And, and seeing what their, what their level of comfort is, is a good starting point. You know, my, my kids are, are pretty active. And so taking them to and from sporting events and practices is oftentimes like I get five minutes of them in a car. Is, I've found it's been a great time to, to have a conversation because they can't go anywhere. Um, and, and now, I mean, even sometimes they can, they can bury their heads in their phones or whatever for, for a five minute drive, but um, it's still a pretty captive audience. So I know that we've had some conversations to and from practice about some of that stuff or, or to and from games, things like that. Just like, you know, what do you know? How are things going at school? How, you know, asking them about friends and, and kids and just what's going on in, in their life, I think. Um, it gives you that little bit of time. They know that it's going to come to an end eventually, too. So I, I think for everybody, it's a, it's a short burst. Um, but I like the idea of just asking them what, what they know instead of putting my, um, my own spin on what I think they know or, or something like that and it coming off as accusatory and, and that's not necessarily fair either. And the other thing that uh, if, you, if you see an example of somebody who maybe has had too much to drink and you're with your kids, or my, in my case, my nieces, you know, asking them, well, you know, what do you think of that? And let them just be honest about it. Or um, if you have a story about somebody or if, if something is in the news and they say something about maybe an, ac- um, an alcohol-related death due to, to an, an, a driving accident, you know, that's a, it's a teachable moment where you can say to kids, you know, you know, if that person hadn't been drinking, do you think they would have, that other person may, might still be alive today? You know, that, that kind of thing. Um, and make them for a moment, just think about 
the ramifications of those kinds of actions. Yeah, that demonstration of real life consequence is is definitely a good teachable moment. Um, I mean, seeing real life consequence is one thing that shaped my attitude around um, alcohol and substance use and, you know, friends, loved ones, people I'm close to that have had found themselves in some really, really bad situations because of, of drinking and driving or other substance use. And if you, and I, I don't want to put myself in a position where like I'm offering advice or framing myself as an expert in any ways, but it's opportunities to kind of talk about those real life demonstrations of consequence, I think are huge. And if it's appropriate for the age of your child for the conversation for whatever. I think it it's good to talk through that rather than just kind of shut off the news or glance past it or or not talk about it at all kind of thing because then you're just leaving them up to make up their own impression and they might not know or understand all of the details or things that go into it. You know, it's interesting. My brother lost a really close friend um, through um, alcohol-related illness. And... Um, he, you know, he died way too young. But when we get together, like on Mother's Day, we always do a flower thing. So we go around Thorpe and we get flowers at all the Mennonite nurseries. But one of the things we always do is we stop at our friend's grave. And my nieces are with us. And they know the story. And they see their uncle, who's still alive, and then they see his friend, who's not. And it's because of the illness that was brought on because of his alcohol use. I think talking about, um, you know, what's too much and, and what's appropriate to share and the questions to ask. I mean, you know, overdoses in, in the younger, uh, that younger age group uh, are, are a real thing. And I think that as a parent, that's something that, that scares me. And um, just because I, I think that it can happen to anyone and so I, I know that when there have been opportunities um, and when we've talked about pain medication and, and pills and over-the-counter stuff and what's appropriate and what's not. And, you know, my, my wife and kids have other medication and, and I get concerned that potentially there could be, right, there's the opportunity that somebody could abuse that and there's the opportunity that somebody could overdose from that. And so I think that... Um, just talking about it and being, I think it's powerful that the kids knowing that we're aware of stuff. Like, because even though, like as a kid, I think you just assume that you're getting one over on your parents. I know that I did. And <laughs> I, I, I always thought that I was smarter than my parents. Um, turns out they probably did the same things that I had done, right? And so, um, my kids are now doing the same things that, that I did. So even though they, they may feel like they're sneaking or pulling one over on me or that I'm buying their story, I can call them on that. And I, so, so I think that just being open and honest and, and having that conversation about, like you said before, the consequences, the short-term and long-term consequences of, uh, of what could happen if, uh, you would decide to do drugs or if a friend would decide to do drugs and just being, you know, making sure that they know that there are resources out there, that there's help for them out there. It doesn't have to be 
you know, I, I think it's great if my kids want to come and talk to me or my wife, but making sure that they have somebody else that they're comfortable with to go and talk to, I think is just as important because I want them to feel like they don't, if they don't know where to turn, then I, I think that would be more concerning. I agree with you, Dan, everything you've said, because you do worry. I mean, even um, when I had some surgeries and the medications I had, it was sort of like, okay, now what do I do with these? And I, I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it except for this coalition and the things that I've learned. So Sam, when you asked me earlier, why am I, why am I doing this? I don't have a background. I mean, I had one class in college that by no means makes me an expert, but I'm learning all the time. And I learned from people like Dan, I learned from people like you or Paul, who used to be the health director, because they all have this background or, you know, from Julie and everybody on the coalition. Um, so I'm learning and that's something that I can take back to my friends. But also I want people to know that you don't have to be an expert to be involved. If you have a passion for this, um, join us. You know, it's, it's so important. There are so many things that this coalition could be doing if we had more volunteers. Why should other people get involved? I think because it's, it's your community, because I think it's our community. I, I think that we're a part of shaping um, what that looks like, what, what it looks like for our kids and, and families. I, I think that we have a responsibility to, to make that the best that we can. As Dan said, this is community work. This isn't just the coalition doing its thing. It's everybody in the community. Everybody in the community probably is, knows somebody. If they're not affected, they know somebody who's been affected by substance use. And um, it's, all, it's up to all of us to, to work on this. Now, Dan, I know you have to drop off for another meeting. So I just want to say thank you for being a part of this podcast. Thank you for being a part of the coalition, of course. And thank you for sharing so much on a personal level today and how you've been affected by both substance use and as a parent worrying about this stuff for your children. So thank you. Thanks for having me. So Sue, do you want to share a little bit about the name Breakwater? Why Breakwater and what it means to you? Well, we first started out as the heroin task force. And so we've gone through a few, um, we've grown We've expanded, and um, so for me, having words like the Heroin Task Force or the Winnebago County Drug and Alcohol Coalition, to me it made it sound more like this was a county initiative, that it wasn't grassroots as much as it is, and it really is grassroots, that this was a, a department of the county, and it's not. So, But it did say what we were about. Um, and then when we started looking at it and saying, is that really what we want, will that turn people off? Or will it bring people to us? Um, to me, the, the, the breakwater, um, I kind of think of breakwater, when I think of a breakwater, is kind of a place of respite. You know, that once you get to that breakwater, it's a place of respite where you can get the help you need. Um, it's a place where you can concentrate on what you need to do to get better, whether that's um, receiving treatment, maybe, maybe it's just identifying that you have an issue. But it also opens it up so that it's not just people who are experiencing a substance issue, but those people that are surrounding them. And it, to me, it's sort of, it, it's more encompassing than just the Winnebago County Drug and Alcohol. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about about the structure of the coalition and maybe opportunities for involvement. And this is all on our website too, www.breakwaterwi.org. So you can go there to check it out as well in the Get Involved tab. So we have a steering team, which is like provides, I guess, the leadership and decision making for the coalition. And I say decision making in, and I mean that in terms of we have this drug free communities grant, and there are guidance documents set up. You are voted onto the steering team. And when there's large expenditures, financial decisions that need to take place, it goes to the steering team. When the action teams want to invest time and energy and funds into an initiative that will help support or better the community, they will report back to the steering team and say, hey, here's what we want to do, here's why, so that we can make sure that as a total coalition, we're working, continuing to work towards that main goal and mission of preventing and reducing substance use and youth across Winnebago County. But the action teams, currently we have two action teams that are active, one being the treatment and recovery group that Dan chairs, and two being the prevention team that Jenna currently chairs. Um, They're able to make decisions within themselves as well, and they do a lot of work and they work together with their community partners with the team members on doing things like leading youth art contests getting prevention messaging out there bringing treatment and recovery providers together to network identify system gaps figure out how can we better work together to serve the community or fill the gaps that we're missing we just had a really great conversation about opportunities to offer recovery coach training to maybe non-traditional attendees or people who haven't really thought about themselves in the space before or how to help businesses become more recovery friendly for their employees and to support their employees through some challenges that they might be having. So I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities for involvement. It doesn't have to look like coming to a meeting every month. It doesn't have to be financial support. It can be time, talents, meeting space when we're in a position to have in-person meetings again. All of those kind of things are opportunities for involvement and work. And even, and this is an area that we haven't gotten very involved in, but we've talked about it quite a bit, is public policy. Mm -hmm. And so if there are people out there who public policy is their thing, we need people to be able to look at what are the existing um, policies or regulations when it comes to maybe the sale of certain products or the placement of products. Dan had talked about, you know, the placement at eye level of children for certain things. Or in meetings, we've talked about the fact that in some stores, there's wine next to the diapers, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, you know, mom, when she's having a tough day, could maybe have a glass of wine. Well, what kind of message does that send? So um, are, are there things that, from a public policy perspective, we should be looking at? And are there people in our community who could help us um, reach out to our legislators or reach out to whomever it needs to be to say we need to change. Well, thank you so much, Sue, for taking some time out of your day to join us on this podcast. And I look forward to working with you a lot more in the future. And I was nervous about coming on, but I'll let all the other team members know that this is, you make it very easy to talk. And having somebody like Dan on the other end too was helpful because I could bounce things off from what he said. So, This is great. Thanks. Awesome. Take care. You're welcome.